Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. I'm so excited to continue our, uh, our House of Worship series today. Actually, we're concluding the House of Worship series today. Have you guys enjoyed this, talking about worship? And, man, it's just, been, it's just been encouraging to me. We've talked a lot about, like, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Uh, last week was a great sermon. Pastor Preepin talked about, like, physical expressions of worship. But today, I'd like to preach um, what will kind of be maybe a sequel to Pastor Amritha's sermon from three weeks ago, The Power of Song, right? We've learned that worship is, it obviously extends beyond the boundaries of just music, but I think music is is worth zooming in on a little bit, which is is what we're gonna do today. I'm I'm pretty excited. So I I really believe in the power of music. In fact, I, I went to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Oral Roberts University. Has anyone ever heard of this university? Okay, yeah, and I, uh, if you ask me what my degree is, I'm probably going to tell you uh, I just had a degree in music. But to be honest, it's because I'm, (laughs) I don't know why, I'm I'm a little embarrassed of the actual title of my degree. (laughs) But since we're all family here uh, at Kalos Church, I feel comfortable sharing with hundreds of people and the internet what, uh, (laughs) what that title is. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Sacred music, sacred music. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Does anybody else know a sacred music major? No one. <laughs> yes, yes, it's sacred. It's pretentious. I get it. Oh man. Well, I love my degree actually. We, I got to study music history quite a bit, as well as a ton of music theory, um, and and also how those things intermingle with God's kingdom which is really powerful for me. Um, unfortunately, they also made me buy a tuxedo and play a lot of classical music. In fact, I am told we actually have evidence of this. I'm told that we have a video from my senior recital in 2008. Would you guys like to see? Oh my God. Okay, Rachel, do we have that video? Oh. <laughs> Many diligent women have since that moment in my life tried to teach me what to do with my hair. Uh, You be the judge if they were successful (laughs) or not. Oh, man. But music has always been a really key player in my life. But more than that, uh, and this really affects the way I lead worship here at Kalos Church, I think music is a key player in God's kingdom. And I want to explain that a little bit more. Um, Because, see, we don't know much about 
heaven, what heaven will be like. For example, will there be air fryers in heaven? There's got to be, right? There's got to be. But we don't know that. However, we do know that music is going to exist in heaven. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Revelation 5.11, the Apostle John gets a vision of what is happening in heaven. And he says this, Then I looked again, I, I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. They're singing. Let's skip ahead a few verses to verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas, and they sang. Right? See, music is one of the few things that we know about which is going to happen in heaven, but that we also can participate here on earth. That makes it a really powerful way for us to answer the Lord's prayer, right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Walter Savage Lander put it this way, music is God's gift to man, the only art of heaven given to the earth and the only art of earth we get to take to heaven. Isn't that beautiful? And while this sounds kind of cute and cuddly (laughs) this morning, If you're anything like me, you immediately notice a problem. Can music really make here on earth feel like heaven, right? I don't know if you're like me, but all too often I feel like there's a gap between the lyrics we put on our screens as we sing and the reality that I walk into on Monday morning, right? We're singing the song, you know, I shall not want, I shall not want. But you moved overseas to get this job at Amazon and it was taken away from you. And you're, you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I actually do want. I feel like I'm lying. Or, or this morning we're singing, hey, I lost another one. I am free. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> right? We're singing I am free. But last night when you stumbled into the same old websites, you really don't feel super free. Maybe you feel convicted by A.W. Tozer's quote. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They simply go to church and sing them. Ouch, right? <laughs> I, I do think, I want to say this, I do think that there's, there's a type of inauthentic worship that, that should feel convicted by this quote. But when it comes to our suffering, right, when it comes to trying to reconcile the difference between what we believe to be true and the reality we find ourselves in, authentic worship is complex, right? It's hard. It's hard. But here's what I want to say this morning. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I want to propose that if you feel like you're singing lies because you're struggling to believe the lyrics that are on these screens, I think you're actually doing it absolutely right. Right. Music is a gift from heaven that here on earth has what I'm going to call today superpowers to help thin the gap between heaven and earth, specifically when we direct it towards our suffering. Our suffering. And I I want to talk about that gap a little bit today. And to understand this, I thought it would be fun if we actually look to the past. So I'm going to lean into my sacred music degree a little bit, if you'll allow me. And we're going to actually look at some of the lessons we can learn from history's great composers and how they thinned that gap between heaven and earth. You ready to, you ready to go on a little bit of a journey with me today? Okay, well, I've got the Nord keyboard here, and I'm going to play a song, and I'm going to see if you recognize the song. Okay, Josh, you ready for this? I need silence. (laughs) 
Yes. Does anybody recognize that song? Does anybody know who it was written by? Bach. That's right, Johann Sebastian Bach in 1703. How was this man able to write a piece of music that still to this day can be moving and, and so powerful for us to listen to? Well, let's hear it in his own words. Bach said this, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Bach's relationship with God is actually really well known. And he credits that relationship with God as the influence to how he was able to be so proficient with music in general. And I, I mean, I could talk for hours about how much Bach affected our music. I mean, literally what we understand of tonality, like key signatures or even harmonies, uh, he, he kind of really invented and, and laid the foundation for that. Every innovation of music since Bach's time, I, I think could, could arguably credit themselves towards Bach. Uh, I mean, he's just an incredible, incredible uh, composer. But I want to focus on one thing that I think he was particularly clever with, and that is the musical thing of repetition. Repetition, right? Uh, the piece I just played is actually a part of what is, what is known as a fugue. Everybody say fugue. Now, fugue is a really cool type of music in that what it does is it introduces a melody uh, or motif, uh, and then it repeats that melody over and over and over again, but, but makes it slightly different. Maybe the pitch is raised a little bit, maybe a different mode or something like that. And then as the piece uh, begins to develop, complexities just kind of go into this, this melody that is repeated over and over and over. Repetition is important in our, in our journey of discipleship right? Repetition is so important. I mean, Jesus even preached two different parables, teaching us that we should pray for the same things over and over and over again. Psalm 136, a really cool psalm. There's 26 verses in this psalm. In each and every verse, the line, his love endures forever, is repeated over and over. And music helps really kind of increase our tolerance for that repetition, right? I mean, if I'm going for a PR in the weight room, as I often do, <laughs> I will turn on the same song every single time. It doesn't matter how many times I've listened to this song. I, it's the same song, and I can, always, I can always find a little bit more strength. And uh, it's Thunderstruck by ACDC. Okay, there it is. <laughs> but it doesn't, it's 30 years old. It doesn't matter how many times I listen to that song. It's going to pump me up. Right? We can listen to the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think repetition is super important. Here's why. Suffering in our lives is, is oftentimes extraordinarily repetitive. So I thank God for the gift of music, which helps me be even more repetitive with my faith, wow. with my faith, right? Uh, I shared this um, last time I preached about a year ago, but some of you may, may not heard it, but my wife and I have been struggling with infertility. Um, and as of right now, 43 months in a row, almost four years, we've gotten to know we're not pregnant. And that suffering is repetitive. I woke up this morning in a world where I'm still not a father and I desperately want to be. And that, that, that suffering can, can feel so repetitive. Uh, but then here's what happens. We get here in the morning, you walk in and we start with a song like, I thank God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't feel very thankful right now. You see, th this is the situation where it feels like I I'm singing a lie for me to say, I thank God. I'm being inauthentic to actually thank God. But here's what we do. We, we, we use Bach's technique and we begin to write or compose our own sort of fugue by adding our lives complexity into the lyrics. We sing, he picks me up 
but God, I feel knocked down right now. You've done it in the past. Can you please do it again? He turned me around, but I've been walking this same 43 months. Can you please come and turn me around? He placed my feet on solid ground. You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna choose to believe that this is true today, even though I don't, I don't feel like it. I'm putting my complexity into this song, right? Yep. Preach. Authenticity does not necessitate a choice between our song's melody and my life's complexity. When we compose a fugue out of our music, not only do we get the opportunity to feel authentic in our worship, but I find that the repetition of singing these truths begins to wear away at the doubts I feel to make my shield of faith seem a little bit lighter. So as we sing our songs, as we repeat these songs over and over again, we've been singing the song, I Thank God, for over a year now. We're going to keep doing it because you keep singing it so loud that we can't stop playing that song. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a little insight into what's going on here. Please add your complexity in. God's not afraid of it. We're not afraid of it as, as your church. Add your complexity in. Paul and Silas did this uh, in Acts 16. They, uh, they were thrown in jail for casting a demon out of a small child who was facing demon possession. And they find themselves in jail. Um, and in Acts 16, 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison shook. Now, they were thrown into prison during daylight. So if they were still singing at midnight, that's quite a long time, right? Can you imagine if like Kalos night went all the way until midnight? <laughs> Come tonight, and you might find out. Where's, where's Kinsey? She's like, oh my God. <laughs> it certainly seems, though, that music helped Paul and Silas be repetitive enough with their faith that they were able to experience this incredible, incredible act of God, right? <laughs> cool. Repetition. Well, repetition is great, but I, I just got to say, sometimes in life, there are things that, it doesn't matter how many repetitions I have, it, it just seems evil and awful and hard to face. And for that, I'd like to actually go about a 100 years past Johannes Sebastian Bach to the year 1803. In 1803, a composer named Ludwig von Beethoven wrote his third symphony. It's regarded by many to be a turning point between um, the classical music era and the romantic music era. And one of the cool things about the romantic music era, as opposed to any other, is the way romantic music allows dissonance to remain unresolved. Unresolved dissonance. Actually, let me, let me show you what I mean by that. So if I play the note E4, take the strings out there, and I, I put that right next to the note D sharp 4. Musicians are already cringing. Here's, here's what that sounds like. Ah, kind of has that tension, that dissonance there, right? But listen to what Beethoven did with that interval. See how he just kind of lets that dissonance be a part of the melody, just kind of remain there? It doesn't need to go anywhere. We actually did this this morning. We, we sang the song Gyra. Uh, that piano part goes like this. Now watch this. Isn't that kind of a rich chord right there? Guess what it contains? That same ugly interval. But here's the deal. When I put it in the right environment, that's when we get a richness. We can't get any other way, right? Now, this wasn't just an artistic choice for Beethoven. This was a deeply personal choice. See, in 1803, just a few years earlier after he wrote this 
famous symphony, he was told by doctors he would soon be completely deaf. Can you imagine getting that diagnosis as a composer? I imagine he must have felt God was being cruel to him. And, and a lot of the, the, the work he did was for the church. We actually have record of him writing letters to his brothers, contemplating suicide. He was facing so much turmoil from unresolved dissonance in his life. Well, that dissonance actually was never resolved. He did become deaf. He didn't get the miracle I'm sure he was praying for. But he continued to write music, incredible music, in fact. In 1824, he was able to write his renowned Ninth Symphony. He never heard his own Ninth Symphony. That's just crazy to me. This symphony is really powerful because it's the first time in history when a chorale, like a choir of voices, is combined with a symphonic orchestra which allowed Beethoven to write lyrics into this symphony. And I want to read you an excerpt from these lyrics. This is actually how he ends the Ninth Symphony. He says this, You millions, I embrace you. This kiss for all the world. Brothers above the starry canopy, there must dwell a loving father. A loving father. Do you fall in worship, you millions? World, do you know your creator? Seek him in the heavens. Above the stars, he must dwell. We know this symphony as the ode to joy. It's not an ode to sorrow or unresolved dissonance. It's an ode to joy. That's, that's the journey that Beethoven was able to go on. What a profound way for him to help us understand this second superpower today, something I'm gonna call beautifully unresolved dissonance. Music helps us connect to God where answers cannot. The week we moved into this building was a particularly overwhelming week. It was really, really busy. Uh, the, the workload was just kind of, kind of crushing. So I'm already overwhelmed. Um, well, Wednesday, leading up to the Sunday that we're launching here, kind of tragically, my little dog, her name is Georgie, passed away. That same week, I think we have a picture of, of Georgie. I'm sure it'll go up there. Uh, that's Georgie. Georgie was really special to me. Um, in the season of dealing with infertility, uh, because I, I wanting to like pour fatherly love into a child that I can see my face in, and kind of in lieu of that, I I I had Georgie. She was she was like an emotional support to me, and I could kind of doubt on her a little bit and be wrapped around her little finger, as Rachel <laughs> liked to say. Um, so it seemed very cruel for her to be taken from me. She's only five years old. Um, and it just made this week where I'm actually really trying to advance God's kingdom. It made that so hard. And I, I don't understand why this happened to me. I was thinking about her this morning, actually. We were singing the song, Even When It Hurts, the second song we sang. You know, it says, take this mountain weight, take these ocean tears, hold me through the trial and come like hope again. I just resonate. I just want hope to burst through in this situation. It goes on and says, even when it hurts like hell, I will praise you. That line almost physically hurts for me to sing. I really feel like I'm lying. I don't want to praise God. I'm, I'm mad at God, right? If, if, I, if I'm able to do something good for someone else yet fail to, the Bible says that's a sin for me. 
So how come in this situation, when God was able to do this good for me, he could have healed my little dog. He had the power and he chose not to. Why, why is that okay for God to do? How can he be good in that scenario? I have so many questions. And here's what happens in, in music with this unresolved dissonance. The dissonance and then God and then I, We just kind of sit there together, unresolved. And it's in this moment that a richness begins to develop in my heart. A connection with God begins to form in a, in a powerful way that you can't get, I believe, any other way. And I'm learning to say, I'm learning to say, I'm learning to say that this connection with God is more valuable than any answers he could possibly give me. Psalm 34:18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'm really thankful to Beethoven that he was able to let music kind of give us this unique power, help us kind of amplify these feelings of connection towards God. Actually, in fact, studies have been done about this. Um, have you ever noticed that if you're feeling sad, you want to listen to sad music? It's not happy. You'd think you'd want to listen to happy music to kind of correct those feelings, but it's actually sad music that you want to listen to. And studies have shown that when we do this, when we're sad and we listen to sad music, the hormones oxytocin and prolactin are actually released. Those are the connection hormones, like the, the hormones that connect mother and child. I'm so thankful that God gave us this ability with music to develop this situation where I can, I can feel connected, and then he invites me to connect with him. I don't hold back. I pour out the depths of my emotions to God. But when I stop seeking for answers and start allowing him to connect with me, ah, a richness comes out of those moments. And we can, we can allow music to help us do that. Isn't that powerful? Yes. Ah, I'm so thankful. Actually, Jesus uh, gives us a great example of exactly this in the Matthew records the last thing Jesus did before going into his, his time of suffering. After the, at the end of the Last Supper, in Matthew 26, 30, he says, Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus used the power of music to prepare him to enter into his time of suffering. That's powerful. I'm learning that this is also powerful in a, in a marriage situation, too. Um, I don't know if anyone else is like me at all, but like last week, my wife, Rachel, she's explaining to me why she feels insecure about an upcoming event. And she hasn't even finished the exposition of her feelings, and I've already got a three-point sermon why she should not feel insecure. Right? You're gorgeous. They're idiots. You're the best thing that's going to happen to this party, right? But I'm learning. I'm learning to say that the connection she wants to feel by sharing those feelings is more important than the incredible solutions that I have. <laughs> and all the wives said, amen. That's oh, crazy. Well, Beethoven's techniques are a lot easier said than done, right? There are a lot more environments where dissonance is just dissonant than there, than there are where dissonance is beautiful. It's hard. So if you'll permit me time for one last superpower. You guys, got, you guys with me still? All right, this, this superpower kind of turns the volume, in my opinion, up to 11. With, uh, with, and this does go to 11. It's one of those amps, if you know what I mean. Uh, and, and 
To explain, we gotta jump 120 years later to the 1930s, and we've gotta talk about the origins of gospel music, okay? Has, has anybody ever heard of a man named Thomas Dorsey? Thomas Dorsey. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a lesser known composer, uh, which is unfortunate because I think it's really difficult to, to overstate how much he impacted music, especially, uh, especially music in the church. See, historically up to this point in music, um, musicians were, were typically pretty privileged, pretty well-off people who had the, both the time and the uh, resources to have an instrument, get lessons, things like that. So if you weren't one of these more privileged people, uh, you could listen and experience music, but participation in it was, was a hard gap to cross. Uh, now, Thomas Dorsey kind of turned that on its head. He made participation in the real-time creation of music available to the masses. And he started, uh, most of his material actually comes from a collection of songs that were sung by slaves during the time of American slavery. They were collected into a book um, that was just called Slave Songs. And Thomas Dorsey began to use these songs as a, as a lot of the, the source of his material. But he went further than that. Um, he founded an organization called the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Courses in 1932, which notably gave an incredible amount of authority to women. Check out this quote from, uh, from a biographer. It says, courses were stocked primarily with women, often untrained singers with whom Dorsey worked personally, encouraging many women who had little to no participation in church before to become active. Nine of the 13 presiding officers in the NCGCC were held by women, 70%, and women of color, by the way. Uh, and this, this is in 1932, right? At this point in history, women had only been allowed to vote in two presidential elections to date. What a man ahead of his time, right? And he was using music to break down these barriers. His legacy seems to thin the gap, I believe, between oppressed and overlooked people and the kingdom of heaven. I think he really fulfilled this scripture, Galatians 3.28, where it says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. History shows us what a challenge this scripture is truly to live out, right? But let's listen to a, a little piece of, of Thomas Dorsey music. This, this song is an excerpt of uh, a song called Highway to Heaven which by the way was written 60 years before ACDC <laughs> wrote a song with a different title. I'll just say, <laughs> I hope I can do this song justice. It, so it sounds like this. <laughs> Isn't that fun? I mean, when you listen, when you listen to this music, doesn't it, you kind of just gotta, you want to get on a little praise break. You gotta want to clap on one and three, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, you, you just want to get into it. I, I really, I really think Dorsey showed us that seemingly impassable barriers can be brought down through the medium of music. What a powerful example of this third and final superpower this morning, which is diversity unified. See, music gives us just a, a great way for us to struggle together. I think that's so important. We've been doing this thing at the end of our, of our services, prayer circles. You guys enjoyed prayer circles at the end of service? It's just an opportunity for us to, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. Uh, can you please pray for me? And actually recently in one of those, uh, in one of those prayer circles, I was, I was talking to my friend 
Amulia, Amulia Sharma. Uh, he gave me permission to share this story, but he shared with me that um, he, uh, he was recently let off, laid off from his job. And what's way worse than that is that his visa, he's from India, his visa is actually tied to that employment. And his wife's visa is tied to his employment. So he's got a very short amount of time to find another job or he faces possible deportation. What a tough scenario. He's really struggling right now. And then I was able to turn around and share with him, man, my wife and I are still struggling with infertility. And on top of that, our, our little dog just passed away. We're really going through it. And, um, but uh, I don't know if you were here for our Easter service a few weeks ago. Uh, I was playing guitar. I was standing back here. And Amulia, he's really tall. He's, he's in the choir right back here. And we're, we're singing songs, and he's just got his hands in the air. He's just, lift, he's just worshiping Jesus. And he kind of looks over at me, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to play a little more. And then he's like, all right, I want to worship a little more. And there was this synergy that was happening between us that helped us struggle together. I know he feels like he's lying as he sings, your mercy endureth forever, O oh Lord. He feels like he's lying as he's saying that. He knows I feel like I'm lying as I say, I'm already loved, I'm already chosen, and that is enough. I feel like I'm lying as I'm singing these words. But when, when we egg each other on, knowing the struggle that we're facing with, and we struggle to worship God together, man, that space between heaven and earth gets real thin, gets real thin. Amulia, they, yeah, it's great. It's worth it. Amulia was born in a different country than me. He was raised in a different religion than me. He's of a different ethnicity than me. I, I bet he probably has political ideologies that are different than mine. He probably has theological thoughts that I might disagree with, but none of those barriers hold any power when we are standing side by side, giving it our best shot to worship God even when we don't know if we can do it right. Isn't that powerful? So I just, I just wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you, when we worship together, open your eyes. We keep it bright in here. We let the natural light in. We, we have white seats so that it can be bright, so that we can see we're a part of a community. It's powerful when we worship together, together. It makes those struggles just a little bit easier to face. So we're actually gonna practice these three techniques um, together. And I just wanna say, it's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you don't know if you believe the words we're about to sing. In fact, if you're struggling, I think you're doing it right. In fact, if you're struggling, we built Kalos Church for you yeah. to come and be here and struggle with us. We're struggling too. Yeah. So I got three superpowers that we talked about. And as we sing this song, we're gonna sing Jaira, that, that, that song. Um, maybe, maybe you uh, can use box repetition technique. Compose a fugue, add your complexity. When we say, I will be content in every circumstance, and you're saying, I'm not content in my circumstance, Add that complexity, let it out, let it out. Maybe you need to use Beethoven's unresolved dissonance technique and suspend your search for answers to the why and allow that deeper connection to surface, to surface. And, and lastly, maybe you can use Dorsey's diversity unified technique. Open your eyes and struggle with us together, okay? So what, why don't you stand up to your feet 
Beck and Kinsey are gonna lead us in, in this song, Jaira. And I just, I just encourage you to, to put this to practice. We're just gonna sing for, for a couple minutes, okay? All right, take it away. I'll never be more love than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more love than I am right now. Going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carrying in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You would cross an ocean, so I wouldn't drown. You've never been closer than you are right now. Cause you are Jaira, you are not. Jara, you are not. I will be content in every circumstance. Jara, you are not. Forever enough, always enough, more than enough. Forever enough, always enough, more than enough. Already loved, I'm already chosen. I know who I am, I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I can imagine, and that is enough. Oh, let's sing that again. I'm already loved, I'm already loved, I'm already chosen. I know who I am, I know what you've spoken, I'm already loved, more than I could imagine, and that is enough. Sing it again. If you believe it this morning, sing it out. I'm already loved, I'm already chosen, I know who I am. I just want to encourage you, music is something that you can put in your car, 
You can put in headphones. You can take anywhere you anywhere you want to go. It's a powerful tool that we have to thin that gap between heaven and earth. But I want to say one last thing, which is that as much as music gives us power to connect with God, there's a there's a breakthrough that happens when we commit and surrender and submit to Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And I, I don't want that commitment to just be based on an emotional reaction that we have to a powerful musical segment. It's gotta be a, a, a commitment that music helps us maintain, but isn't the basis of that, right? Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.